Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of For the Love of Duluth podcast. My name is Tom Jamison. I am a former lawyer who moved to Duluth about seven years ago after I bought a business here called Lake Superior Medical Equipment, hanging up my lawyer hat after 25 years. Joining me as co-host of this podcast is a lifelong Duluthian, a registered nurse, and the marketing director for Lake Superior Medical Equipment, Yvonne Myers. So why did we start a podcast called For the Love of Duluth? Because we love this town and the interesting people, places, and experiences that we continue to discover here. If you already live in Duluth, we hope this podcast will teach you things you never knew before about the place we call home. If you are planning to visit Duluth, we hope this podcast can act as a tour guide of sorts, giving you an inside look at the remarkable people, places, and things that make up our unique city. Duluth is a star of the show, and our guests help it shine even brighter. We hope you love this podcast as much as we love the city it's named for. This is Season 4 of For the Love of Duluth. Over the past few years, the beer industry in Duluth has been booming, brewing up some great beverages for locals and tourists alike. The area is now known as much for its incredible selection of breweries as it is for its beautiful landscape. Many of these unique places to grab a cold one bring people to Duluth from all over the region, from Bent Paddle to Ursa Minor and many of the one-of-a-kind spots in between. With so many breweries making Duluth home, it takes quite a special place to stand out. But Blacklist Brewing Company does just that. Located in bustling downtown Duluth, Blacklist opens up to Superior Street and the Great Lake Superior just feet away. That comes in handy for the views and for the brewers, considering that they use water from the lake in their brewing, which are also crafted with quality, creativity, and culture in mind. If you're a hoptimist, you'll love all things on the menu at Blacklist Brewing Company. They craft their brews using high-quality malts and hops, for a difference you can taste, all while offering other fun menu options like a Bloody Mary and hard seltzers made in small batches. Blacklist also teams up with other local companies for unique collaborative drinks you can't find at any other brewery or anywhere else in the world. There's a reason they offer so many different options. They believe there's a time and place and experience for each and every one of their selections. Delicious drinks aside, Blacklist also sticks out in yet another exceptional way. They offer the option to throw some axes while you sip on a pint or two. Their idea was right on target. They were the first place in the Duluth area to offer axe throwing. Now they have all the beer necessities and then some. Your next hoppy hour will never be the same in the best way. When you dive deeper into the mission of Blacklist Brewing Company, all of this makes perfect sense. The spot was dreamt up with the Northlanders in mind, opening in 2012 with a clear mission of creating a place where you not only get a drink with friends, but an experience you take with you wherever you head to next. Don't worry. Beer Hoppy. One of the integral members of the team is Ray Mindestrom, the axe throwing manager at Blacklist Brewing Company. He got his foot in the door in the beer industry back in 2014 with a part-time gig at a different brewery. After becoming a familiar face at Blacklist, they offered him a job, joining the team back in 2017. Here to talk all things Blacklist Brewing Company, axe throwing, and the beer industry in Duluth is Ray Mindestrom. Ray, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. 
me. So you were born and raised just up the road in two harbors. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, obviously small town living. People are familiar with that around here. So my parents lived in uh, in the upper neighborhood of two harbors. I think there's only three neighborhoods there. That's about it for about 2,500 people. Um, and my parents are both from uh, the French River, um, Lakewood area, it's Lakewood Township. Um, my dad, uh, Clover Valley High School graduate, um, opened his own business in 1965 called Duluth Steel Tanks, which operated on the Rhine Road. So they made uh, fuel oil tanks, basement tanks, bulk oil tanks, kind of stuff for Harbor City Oil and Trico and those guys down here in Duluth. Um, in fact, not far from here, we used to deliver tanks all the time when I was a kid. So it was a lot of outdoors, spent most of my time outside, whether it was fishing or out with friends, playing sports and those types of things. So, um, you know, the small town, you have to be very creative with finding things to do. And, and it felt like it was a lot easier back then than it is now. But yeah, so I uh, basically spent all my time there, graduated with high, uh, from Tarbers High School in 1998 and, uh, and just kind of grew out from there. Disappeared for about a year and a half uh, up, up to the range. I went to college in Hibbing and then uh, moved back uh, in 2000, started a family, got married. Um, that's when I had my kids. My first kid was born in 2001 and then my second child was born in 2003. So um, yeah, I just basically stuck around two harbors. I still own a house there. I don't live there, but we'll uh, continue to look at potential of moving back there. I don't know. It's hard to say. Two harbors is one of those things where as long as the lake's close to me, I'm happy, but I do really enjoy that town. Yeah, two harbors is a cool, cool town. It's, uh, well, I guess Duluth is maybe the gateway to the North Shore, but I always feel like you're really not on the North Shore until you get to two harbors and beyond. Uh, it's just a just a beautiful town. So we're all about the journey here on For the Love of Duluth. And uh, so you graduate high school in two harbors. You went to uh, school for, uh, sounds like a year and a half in Hibbing. And uh, then then you moved uh, to Duluth at that point? Yeah, and it was, uh, it basically was uh, switching schools um, at the time. Fiance and I had a just bought her parents' house, so um, that's kind of what brought us back into town. Was her her parents are from Duluth then? Uh, originally Silver Bay, actually. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so she went to school with me. We we're high school sweethearts. That whole thing. Oh, really? Um, okay, that's cool. Yeah. It was great until about 2016, but it's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. We're still very close. Yeah, she's, life she's awesome happens. Person, life so. happens. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it was one of those things where I knew I wanted to be back there. I knew at some point that's where we were going to land anyway. So um, I finished a business degree here in Duluth and then uh, went to work for, uh, actually started with Granite Gear up there and did some um, um, shipping, receiving, uh, kind of managing the warehouse side of things and inventory control. Uh, and then I left there and went to, uh, in 2001, I started at Genesis in Superior. Oh, okay. Okay, so I just want to back up quickly. You said you finished, got your business degree. Was that at UMD here? Or where what? Where I I just did a like a, a business uh, associate's degree at Lake Superior College. Oh, Lake Superior College. Okay, yeah. all right, cool. And you start and Granite Gear. Now Granite Gear was that in Two Harbors? Yep. Yeah, right up in the Industrial Park there. Yeah. And then what? Didn't the Granite Gear folks? Didn't they open that coffee shop that's up by up in Two Harbors? A bike store coffee shop. Yeah. So Dan Dan and Jeff both sold um, their shares to uh, other investors uh, uh you know in the industry and uh, each branched off and did their own thing i know that uh jeff one of the founders uh, opened uh, i believe it's night vision uh, so he's doing outfitting for camper vans and stuff like that oh, in cool. two harbors and then dan cruikshank branched off on his side and opened cedar coffee company spoken gear yeah. and sidero where they do um uh, bags for bike packing bike so, pa- yeah 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 fantastic people it's a great business yeah too. that's cool i i uh, i don't know the others but i i know that uh, coffee store coffee 
coffee shop, uh, first of all, they've got great coffee. Second of all, it's a really cool bike shop. So uh, if you're into that stuff, um, it's a great place to stop if you're in two harbors. So so anyway, but we digress. And, and what you'll find that uh, we do that quite a bit here. We're probably going to do it a little bit more since you were kind enough to bring some um, frosty beverages with you that we're Can't consuming now. So so not only will we have to edit out all my uh, all my flubs, but probably some belches <laughs> as well. So that's okay. Uh, that. So anyway, so Ray, uh, so at, at some point when you, you got back here, you, you wound up living in Duluth? Yeah, so um, I left uh, I left Two Harbors in 2016. Um, so I had already started working for the other brewery, Castle Danger, who I love. Um, okay. I started working for them. I actually graduated with the owner, and their main sales rep was a very close friend of mine because our kids are friends. Oh, so. really? You graduate? So you graduate high school with the owner of Castle yeah. Danger? Yep. Oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. Clint McFarlane's a fantastic. It's fabulous. I mean, that's that's just a fabulous brewery too i mean we are so blessed around here to have lots of fabulous breweries blacklist being absolutely at the at the top of that list because um well first of all you guys uh you guys opened here in duluth before you know the others like bent paddle or some minor didn't you you guys were were first yeah very small time yeah so you were in you were in two harbors at castle danger were you kind of learning the whole brewery business then at that point yeah i mean it was one of those things where i guess the business side of it always intrigued me um you know you look at breweries in general um you know you always think of those as just like well it's just beer and it's just beverages but it's you know it really is a lot more than that the craft beer industry itself is is all about the experience and and everything else and i think it's really just opening people up to other things besides the coors lights and the budweiser's and and i'm not dogging on any of those brands because it all started somewhere right it's right um you know minnesota's kind of prevalent in that with you know between hams and 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 paps and all those guys and um, then summit yeah exactly so i mean that's it all had to kind of start I feel like we kind of started some of that trend in the Midwest. Right, right. Um, But it was just that side of it always intrigued me. And, you know, helping with when I started out, I was just working for free for them. Um, Oh, wow. I was just doing samplings at liquor stores or working some of the, you know, the bigger beer events like the Alpines North and those types of things. Um, And it was really kind of diving headfirst into understanding what it was that people loved so much about craft beer and, and kind of their drive towards towards that side of things and and I just I fell in love with it that's really what it came down to is I started with this whole free thing um I left my adult corporate job as I like to call it uh, with United Healthcare in 2016 and wait you like, were, were what were you doing in healthcare um so backing up to the Genesis thing so I was with Genesis I did purchasing and sourcing with them uh in 2007 when uh the economy took a bit of a dip uh right. scrap market was not very good and, and my job was to buy parts to build these shears that were cutting up scrap steel and all that so uh my job went with it uh and so it was trying to find something else that that I could get into and and it needed to move fast obviously young family and and owning a house and all those things so United Healthcare was going through a span of hiring and and I joined them in 2010 oh okay um and I ended up being there until 2016, so that's kind of the full part of it. I did got some management experience there. I had a, a crew of about 25 people wow. um, that I managed wow. there, uh, the call center team. And uh, was I don't want to say it was a bad job. I got a lot of experiences from it. I think I learned a lot of customer resolution skills and things, being a supervisor and taking some of the more right, right. angry phone calls. Yeah, and employment resolution things if you were managing 25 people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was kind of fun. I got brought on to a, a brand-new group that was hiring. Um, they were looking to hire 120 people, so I think from an interview standpoint, when I interviewed over 350 people just to fill those positions. So wow. me and a God. team of other four, four yeah. managers. But yes, I mean, that's that wasn't really my thing. Um, and that, of course, I was talking about the, the separation from my 
from my ex-wife. I needed to try to find something that made me happy. And, and, you know, I was only paying for myself and my kids at the time. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to find a job that I really enjoy. And that's where Castle Danger had offered me some extra hours. Okay. So it brought me to the tap room. And, and not working for free. Nope. At that Presumably point, I was, at that point, right? It was a real deal. Cause, it was behind cause, the bar. It was Because anyone will offer you extra hours if you're working for right. free. And I thought, <laughs> I'm there so much anyways, I might as well get paid to be here. So yeah, so I, I got brought into the team there, ended up being a, a shift lead there um, for a couple of years. And, and I really enjoyed it. Like I said, that's where it really took off for me after doing the beer samplings and kind of getting to understand what this industry was. Um, once I got behind that bar, it was just like, I loved it. Right. I actually loved introducing people to, to new things and new flavors and, and understanding what it was that goes into the process and making of the beer. And, and I don't know, I just, I never left. I thought for sure it was going to be like a temporary, until I get my next big job, I'm going to do this because it's fun and I have yet to look back on yeah. it. So yeah. it's great. Well, you know, and I, I, uh, I, I always loved Castle Danger in part because it's in two harbors. And whenever I went there, it was after some great experience on the North Shore, either hiking up maybe on some part of the Superior Hiking Trail, maybe in the Knife River, or maybe biking from here up to t- uh, Two Harbors, and your your first stop is Castle Danger, because yeah. you got to have a beer, and, and uh, I've just, I was always in such a great mood going to Castle Danger, that's probably why I have such fond memories of it, because sure. you're, you're always doing something fun, then you go to Castle Danger, and it's just got this great vibe, and if it's a nice sunny day, you're out in the deck, and it's really cool, so uh, you are now working at Castle Danger, you now pick up more hours, starting to really love the brewing industry. Yeah. So how do you wind up coming down to uh, Blacklist? So Blacklist, uh, obviously they opened their tap room in 2016. It was actually Black Friday of uh, 2016. Um, and at that point, I had sort of gotten to know some of the guys because we would do, if I was doing liquor store samplings or if I was at a, a fundraising event that had beer sampling, um, I got to meet some of the Castle Danger or the Blacklist guys at the time. And, uh, you know, for me at Castle Danger, you know, a year and a half into it, you know, I, again, I really enjoyed the time there, but they were growing so fast and so furious. Right, like right, it right. was just all of a sudden they were like number six as far as, you know, out production goes in Minnesota. Right, right. And it kind of started to get that feel to me where it was more. Of a, I don't want to call it corporate, but more of like when you're behind the bar, it was more of an assembly line type. Of thing. Right, right, right. There was always lines of people. So I always felt like I was just rushing people through and rushing people through. And, and that kind of takes away from, for me, the ability to to open people up to like the experience of being there. Um, you know, I always tell people that my biggest part of this industry is that when you come to our tap room, whether it's Castle Danger or Blacklist, whatever, at some point you've either had our beer somewhere or you've, um, you've experienced what we do or you've heard about us and you want to come and you want to get the full experience. And at that tap room, that to me should be the best time that you've ever had drinking right. our, our alcohol. Um, and I was losing some of that feeling just because it was getting so busy and so right. big. Right. Um, again, I absolutely love what they do. But, you know, having stepped foot in the door at Blacklist and seeing what they had going on there and being more of a, a small kind of family friends run type operation and kind of what they were doing. Obviously, their their offerings in the beginning were very unique right. uh, to the brewing industry here in Duluth, being a, a Belgian inspired or artisan ale inspired brewery. It put them in a very different spot than the rest of these guys that were sticking with the IPAs and the cream ales. Right, and, right. You know, your standard brands. Um, so it made it more of a challenge to me to introduce people to something like that. Um, you know, a Belgian style beer and, and those types of things are very different from from your typical, I would say, Midwestern beer drinker. So that's right. your, your Coors Light, Miller Light, Golden Light people. Um, and again, nothing against that. That's totally no, fine. No, if if you actually consider those beers, yes. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we just say fancy water, but that's fine. Yeah, yes, yeah. I always laugh because we'll get those people that will come in and be, and, and you always I don't want to say that you can you can get a preconceived notion of what somebody's going to ask you for but when somebody comes in and they're like oh just give me the lightest thing you got and I will purposely pour them a glass of water just to get a rise out of them right 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 and it's it's a 
lot of fun because it's usually received really well. There's a couple times where you get that side eye of like, I, that's not what I ordered. And, you know, it's yeah. me being a bit of a, a sarcastic person here and there. But, um, you know, those were the people in the beginning of Blacklist that were a little more difficult to to find that thing that they could understand and drink and enjoy. And and I like that aspect of it. I really like the idea of introducing somebody to something completely new that they would not normally try. If right. you're in a liquor store and you're looking on a shelf and you don't recognize or understand the name of something or the style of something, there's a very good chance that you're not going to buy it. Um, short of the people who buy based on beer labels. I'm going to tell you that I was that person for a while just because I enjoyed you know the artwork side of it. Right, right. I think everybody brought something a little bit different when you went to those shelves and you're like, okay, that might not yeah. taste good, but that's a cool can and I right. want to try. Right, right. right. Um, and John Loss uh, from Blacklist, when he was the, uh, him and Brian were the original founders, he uh, had an art degree from MCAD. Oh, and really? he, phenomenally talented wow. individual from an art standpoint. Our artwork and our stuff was exactly so eye catching, and that's exactly what brought people in. Right. So, I mean, now um, John being separated from the company it, to try to find someone who can come in and fill that void and, and, and still bring that right. brand awareness is, is incredible. But that's maybe a, a latter story that we'll talk about. But, um, but again, it just all comes down to the fact that you really want to be able to introduce somebody to something new and fun and ha watch them enjoy it or right. watch them not like it and be like, hey, you know what? We got right. all this stuff. Like, right. let's, let's do this. And, and I think that that's what we've done is we've grown so well over the last you know six years that people can walk in the door and I have 18 different beers on tap. I have seven different right. seltzers. Right. I have THC offerings. I have a, a lot of things that, that Blacklist can offer right. you. So there's something for everybody there. Isn't it funny you can say THC offerings and you don't have to whisper? I'm going to tell you it is the <laughs> wildest thing so far that's happened to me in this industry. I would have never expected that I would be handing somebody, uh, you know, marijuana beverage or gummies right. or whatever. It, it's a it's a very yeah. unique time, but it's yeah. great for Minnesota. I think that's yeah. going to be a, a big a big tax revenue for us. Right. Uh, judging by the popularity already. Yeah, I would I would think so. That's obviously one of the reasons that uh, got through the legislature and signed into law by uh, by the governor. Okay, so we are so 2016. You're kind of making this change. You're leaving Castle Danger and you're going to join the blacklist folks so and were you still living in two harbors or were you living in Duluth at that point I was still living in two harbors um, and I actually didn't move to Duluth until 2000 2001 right in that area so uh, had a different place to live there. I uh, was commuting back and forth, which I was very used to because I had been doing it since right. 2001. So it wasn't anything new for me. Right. So you said you moved to Duluth in 2001. So 2001, you were in Duluth. Yeah. When did you move back up to Two Harbor? When you were working at Castle Danger, were you living in Duluth or living in, in Two Harbor? Two Harbors, yeah. I was in Two Harbors from two thousand till 2021 2021 okay yeah, yeah. yeah that makes sense okay yeah sorry so, about that that's... no no that's all right that's all right no no i wasn't cash how many of these <laughs> how many of these uh, beers have i had was, you should keep drinking yeah great. yeah yeah so anyway so you started at blacklist in 2016 2017 2017 yeah okay. october and so what what was your first gig at blacklist so i was i was a beer tender uh okay. beer tender slash server uh, at the time we were serving at the tables and uh so it was one of those things where you know you would go out you'd greet people at the table right um, and it was a very small tap room so i was i was yeah. kind of a clunky feeling of i don't know if this is the right experience it's easier to have people come up to the bar and kind of take a look at the menu and all those things right. so um that eventually changed but yeah so i was just a part-time regular guy i would I still do some of the beer samplings and still help out with some of the sales team stuff so but it was very part-time so i'm trying to re remember so my uh, the first time first couple times i was at blacklist is before you guys moved into your your bigger digs and we're going to talk to talk 
talk about those at New Digs. But um, I don't remember people coming to the table. I remember you going to the bar and ordering. Yeah, it was a short-lived yeah. thing. So yeah, yeah. So and uh, and at that that time, you're right. There was no IPAs or anything like that. It was and uh, I always remember like in the summer. That's I tend to drink more of a Belgian style beer, and then sure. in the winter, in which we have about nine months of here in Duluth, I more I switch more to the IPAs, something with a little more body. And so I was really happy that Blacklist started making some some IPAs. Yeah. But I always enjoyed. I thought it was cool going to Blacklist because it was kind of different because they didn't have it wasn't just full of IPAs because there weren't a lot of brew pubs that weren't really focused on IPAs. And here you had Blacklist, and it was a cool space. Maybe um, you guys thought it was somewhat limiting because of, of the size and stuff. But I thought it was a kind of a cool place. It was narrow, it was, it was long and narrow. You had that cool place in the back where you have games and stuff. And I thought it was a kind of a cool place and with a cool vibe. Um, and then at some point, you guys got into axe throwing. And yeah. I want to I talk a little bit about that because I had I've had some really fun nights at at Blacklist axe throwing, and I know that you're you're really involved in that now. So when did when did Blacklist open its doors up for axe throwers? It's been roughly four years. I mean, it, the story behind it's kind of interesting. So one of our owners, uh, who originally was from uh, down in the Milwaukee area, uh, there's a place called Axe in Milwaukee. So I was at that time was doing some like sales and distribution stuff in Wisconsin for them. So we were self distributing at the time down there. Um, so that was Matt. Madison, Eau Claire, Milwaukee. So it was basically a one once a month trip down there with a van full of beer. Um, we had our main accounts that we stopped at down right. there. Um, one of the owners had, had put me on to stopping in there and checking it out. You know, we've had that space in the back that you had talked about right. where the games and the big right. TV was at. Um, it was just really underutilized. I think a lot of it came down to the fact that, you know, for us, if it was utilized, we would have people that would go back there and play the games and then they weren't visible from people walking down the street. Right. So people look in the windows and they don't see anybody in there. They're like, oh, well, yeah. it's not really worth our time. So um, took some measurements, did some did some chatting and whatnot and kind of got to understand the idea of axe throwing and stuff because that was still, I wouldn't say unique, but it was becoming a new fad, I guess, all right. around the United States. And uh, from there, it was, can we do this? Yep, let's do it. Within 18 days, we had them built. And then we went to the city for permission, which took a few months. Uh, it was a, a little convincing and a, you know, a, a chamber a chamber meeting there and a, a lot of different inspections and things to really fully understand what we were looking to do. I think the, the initial thought of beer and axes is a little scary to a lot of people but right and they're thinking well is this a team event are, are people throwing axes at the other team and then they might get scared about that i first heard about axe throwing from my kid my kids are a little older than your kids not much uh you you're 2000 2001 2003 or yeah, yeah yeah so mine are 97 and 2000 so my oldest was going axe throwing one night and he was in college down in in the cities and i thought axe throwing well that's not necessarily what a dad wants to hear his son's going to go do because I'm thinking, well, what's going on there? But he, he said it was fun and, and he's, he's just had a great time. So, you know, two, three months later, I found myself axe thrown at Blacklist. And we're going to get into this uh, in more detail and talk about the new space and everything else new that's going on at Blacklist. Um, we'll be right back with Ray. We have to take a short break, hear from our sponsor, Lake Superior Medical Equipment, and then we will be right back. Lake Superior Medical Medical Equipment is proud to announce some big news. They have opened two brand new locations. Nearly eight months after the fire destroyed their Duluth store and warehouse, the team at Lake Superior Medical Equipment has bounced back bigger and better than ever with a new storefront at... 
4730 Mike Calaleo Drive in Duluth. The new store is located in the lower level of the Bullion Center with more parking and a great new layout. That's not all. Lake Superior Medical Equipment has also moved their store in Cloquet. Customers can now shop at their brand new location at 907 Stanley Avenue, just a few doors down from their old store. Something that hasn't changed? The amazing customer service you have come to expect from Lake Superior Medical Equipment. Our friendly staff is ready and waiting to help you find everything you need in our two brand new locations in Duluth and Cloquet. Stop in and see the friendly staff at Lake Superior Medical Equipment today. Have a question? Give them a call at 218-727-0600 or visit them online at lsmedequip.com. In the meantime, keep up with everything happening at Lake Superior Medical Equipment on social media. Just search for Lake Superior Medical Equipment on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We are back with Ray Mindestrom from Blacklist Brewing Company. We left off just about the time that Blacklist Brewing starts to think about expanding, and you expanded right down the street, correct? That's correct. What's your new address? Uh, 206. East Superior Street. All right. And so it's literally what? Maybe about two or three doors down from where the original blacklist was? The original was 120 East. So I always tell people oh, so, it's about so a half a block. Half a block. A okay. Block. By the way, we haven't even talked about COVID and yeah. what happened with COVID. So let's talk a little bit about COVID and what, what happened with blacklist. So, you know, the beauty of COVID, uh, well, I shouldn't say the beauty of COVID itself, but the uh, the way that COVID was received here in Duluth, um, I think the, the awesome part about uh, what Duluth has a, this small community feel to it, even though it's a bigger city, is that the locals really stepped up and right. helped support these local businesses that were doing everything they could to just make sure they could get their employees paid, make sure the businesses are surviving during, you know, really was a pandemic. And it was a very unique experience, I think, for every business. Each right. one has their own story. But for us, it was, okay, so we're a service industry, we're a bar, um, we can't allow people to come in our doors, what are we going to do? Right. So we uh, came up with a curbside ordering system on our website where you could pre-order uh, crawlers of the beer. And uh, you'd be able to come up, pull up curbside, mask, and everything else. We'd, we'd walk the order right out to you. You paid for everything online. There was no touching of things and whatnot. Um, and, you know, what an interesting way to to still be able to, to serve people a product right. that, you know, that they couldn't generally get by sitting down and hanging out with their friends, right? So we did that. Um, we kept kind of a skeleton crew on. We had our regular staff, obviously, that, that weren't going to be working bar hours. But myself, the manager, and a couple of their employees would stay behind, and we would fill crawlers daily. Um, we would move our crawler cooler up onto our stage right at the garage door. And so when people pulled up, you could either pull up and be like, hey, I'd like to get a couple of crawlers of whatever, and we would serve them to you, and away you'd go. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it wasn't a struggle because, you know, obviously everybody has bills still to pay. If you want right, to understand right. the cost of making beer uh, in an industry where, you know, even liquor stores in that scenario was was very tough. Right, right, You know, right. we still had to make beer, and we still had to put product out, but we also had to keep the lights on. So that was right. that was the way that we were able to do it. And I'm going to tell you that Duluth was so phenomenal. People in the cities even, it was fantastic. Hey, we're still going to go up the shore, but we know that you guys can still sell beer out the door. Let's do this. So it was, it was incredible. Honestly. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. Maybe if we ever have another pandemic, hopefully uh, they'll consider you an essential business and you won't have to shut down. Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, for the emotional benefits that your industry provides, you should be considered an essential business, but that's just me editorializing here. The workers were considered that's essential. Right. So I was happy about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the other yeah. part of it. I would say that, you know, it was, there was definitely an opportunity to still be able to work, but you know, 
the the amount of hours you weren't able to put in, they were covering right. for you. So that was right. great to have that. So how long? I can't I can't even remember because uh, you know we were fortunate that we were considered an essential business, so we never had to shut our doors. But how how long uh, were you um, relegated to just doing curbside delivery? I want to say it was a better part of. God, was it close to six six months, wow. six eight months like wow. that? Um, you know, and then when you when we talked about the size of that space in general, uh, when it came time to be able to you know do the reopen, but the social distancing side of things, you know, we went from eighty bar stools down to forty six seats, I think. Yeah. Um, so that was you know now you're cutting your customer traffic in half, right? Right. right. So and then even with the axe ring, axe ring was also included in that where we had three axe ring lanes, we had to shut the middle lane down so that those groups could still be six feet apart technically right. right you know so the reopen was a struggle as well uh, you still had those people who were i think a little nervous to go out and, and hang out so sure. we still had some of that sure. curbside action which yeah. was great um, we were still offering that up even though we were open to business we would still run uh, orders out to your car and whatnot so and we did as long as we felt we needed to uh but yeah that was that was also tough it's it's hard to go down to that you have your busy nights when we used to do live music and i mean that was really what we were known for right was a, a live music spot um and that completely went by the wayside that was the last time we had live music was the month before we shut down. I think it was Brand Marie and the Front Porch Spinner, Sinners oh. were the, the last band that played before we shut our doors for th- the pandemic. And we didn't have live music again until about three months ago. Really? Yeah. Uh, like I can I can go into a long tirade of music licensing and what you have to pay to actually be able to host music is insanity. Yeah. It's four or five grand a year. Just, Plus you got to pay the bands. Just for the just for the licensing? Yeah. Is that Duluth-centric? Is that issue Duluth-centric or is that everywhere? It's music industry. So you've got, you've got Ask Cap, BMI, and CSAC are all um, people who support the artists. People can't see me doing air quotes right now, but that's fine. Right. Um, I, there's there's benefits I think to it um, from a from a big band standpoint, but um, you know all these local musicians and things like that don't see a dime of that money, and and it's a struggle to to have to pay that kind of money to host live music or to have your TVs with sound on or to there's a whole list of things. So that so what is it that you are actually having to pay the license fee to be able to do? In other words, if I'm if I've got a bar and I want to have a, a one mic there with an amp and people can come up there. What what am I going to have to do to be allowed to do that? Well, each each organization has its own thing it covers, and some of them cover both or th- multiple things, right? So uh, some of it is the the copyrighted music. So like uh, you know when you see bars that touch tunes, touch tunes has its own license. So touch tunes, if you bring that into your bar, you can just play that music and let it do its thing. Right. But let's just say that you don't want to have a jukebox. You want to just use like a playlist on Spotify or Pandora. Right. Um, you have to pay a licensing fee in order to legally be able to yeah. provide that sound to the public because they see it as you're making money on those artists' songs, which I would technically agree with. I mean, that's, right, that's right, definitely right. a thing. Exactly. But then you get into the whole NFL, MLB, NHL. Um, there's a lot of weird stipulations where like uh, NFL, if, unless you're paying an NFL licensing fee, you cannot, you can't have the sound on the TV. You cannot project that game on a TV larger than 55 inches. There's a whole plethora of weird ins and outs of laws that, I mean, the NFL fine alone is like 12 grand. If they catch yeah. you doing that. Yeah. And they, they can hire the lawyers to enforce that if they so choose. Oh, yeah. It's it's one yeah. letter and you're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Right, right. right. Yeah, So exactly. that's where these other organizations come in is they're, they're supposedly covering you for, for these things. So, um, you know, obviously we have we have now restarted 
all that licensing and, and going through and, and all that. So now we're going to start doing live music again. But uh, yeah, I mean, in that space, uh, and you're cut in half with the amount of people you can put in there. Right, you, right. I mean, you, you can't, couldn't afford to put right. a band in there exactly. and, and still make money on it. Exactly. And I, I don't like the idea of cover charges for bands where, because to me, that's now you have your customers who are coming in to see Blacklist, but there happens to be music, but now they have to pay money to come in. Right. So, so I've always kind of been against the whole cover charge. It's a fine um, line, unless unless it's a band that you're not going to get unless you can charge a cover charge because they're going to require. There's a few of those out there, but they'll have much. a guarantee. Like yeah. they all have that one price amount that they'll play right. for if you're not going to have a cover charge. And I would rather give the band the money that they deserve versus, you know, hey, you came in and we only had three people show up, so here's your $15. I right. I would never do that to a local band. That's, that's right. awful. Right, right. So yeah, that's uh, the COVID part of that was, was tough. I think that was actually harder than the being shut down portion just because you had all those people who didn't want to come out, but then you also right. couldn't fit as many people in. So right. now you have to try to find ways to, what, what are people going to do when they come in? So the axe throwing was a great a great buffer for that. Right. Um, you know, we still operated two lanes. We were we were really, at that point, was still pretty fresh. Right. Because you know, we got shut down not long after we opened axe throwing. So that was still pretty fresh in the Duluth market, which was great. We were the only ones north of Minneapolis at the time. A place opened in Brainerd about a year and a half, two years ago, or one another brewery uh, brought it up. And, uh, and so that was still unique. So that was right. a draw for people, which was great. So you get through COVID, you're you're barely able to make ends meet because you're down to half capacity. COVID slowly lifts. There's, you know, obviously a hangover phase of, of COVID where you've got people who, even though it might be safe to go out, they don't know it's safe to go out. They don't think it's safe to go out. And then somewhere in there, you start getting your sea legs back underneath you and you start thinking about expansion and, and moving. So when did those seeds start germinating? That actually started during COVID. We were already building searching at that point. Um, and the reason that was, and it wasn't so much that the space was narrow because I do, I think some of these places with the smaller tap rooms and Bent Paddle was a prime example of that with their original tap room was very small. Right. You know, it makes it one of those highly sought after. I want to go there. I want to get a chance right. to go there. Oh, it's so busy. Well, we'll come back another time or whatever. But um, for us, it was brewing capacity. Um, the area below our tap room, the original tap room, was just far too small. Yeah. We had already the maximum amount of tanks that we could fit in there. Um, we had a very small cooler. So even if we brewed max capacity in the tanks that we had, we had nowhere to put it. Cooler right. was too small, right? So we were already on the hunt for that. Um, and, you know, within the city limits of Duluth in, in most places in Minnesota, um, you can't operate two locations. So we couldn't just say, you know what, we're going to brew up on the hill because there's a warehouse space available right. that's much bigger, but we'll keep a tap room down here. They won't allow you to do that unless those those properties are adjacent legally. So again, using Bent Paddle, Bent Paddle as an example, they were able to do that because it's it's an adjacent property, right? right? Um, which was awesome for them and awful yeah. for us because to try to find, you know, we didn't want to make a big move. We like it downtown. Right. It's great down there, right? You're right off of 35. You're super close to the lake walk. Everything, all the nice right. spots, the great shops. So we really wanted to make sure we stayed down there. And originally, um, the owners had invested in the Bell Bank building and that just wasn't going to be conducive to a taproom space or even being able to ship product out of it. So, and then we started talking with uh, with the folks at the Lane building and, and it was just a it was a perfect fit. It, yeah. It's exactly what we needed. You know, the benefit to that building is that not only did we get a bigger brewing space, but our tap room two and a half times the size of what it was. Right, so, right. Um, so then it was trying to figure out well, what do we do with all this space? <laughs> so, and I mean, we could definitely get into that part of it too because it's it's well, unbelievable the stuff that we've been putting out now. So well, we're 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 just getting into that now. And so so and briefly, just uh, remind me: Are you did did you guys when did you guys start selling uh, your beer outside of the tap? room to, you know, liquor stores, that kind of stuff. It was basically right away. 
2012, yeah. 2013, we were selling, um, at that time, we were just bottling. So we had 750 milliliter bottles. Um, so that was automatically in liquor stores. I think our first tap account was, I, my understanding is it was Zeitgeist. They were the very first people to have our beer on tap. And that was like 2013, 2014, whenever they had opened their doors. So and our head brewer had been a bartender there. So, so that's, yeah. that, that's a, that was a natural fit. Yeah. So uh, during COVID, that continued. Yep. And and has that grown since since then? As far as? As far as your distribution. distribution oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that was the prime reason for needing that bigger brewing space. We had so much demand because I think, you know, right before COVID and getting into COVID, um, you know, we kind of expanded our selections as far as getting into some of the more of the American styles and some of the more trendy styles that were happening. Um, you know, doing everything we could to get our foot in the door in new locations. And, um, you know, with the with the signing of a couple different distributors, it really grew fast. Yeah. And it, it kind of became fast and furious at that point. So I think post-COVID, getting into that new space, you know, we had about a month and a half of shutdown as far as brewing goes, moving tanks and things like right. that. But it's unreal. I mean, we've now we've signed with a distributor in Wisconsin. We're not doing our own sales down there, which wow. is huge. Um, so both of those states have just been nuts. Wow. Yeah, we just got better at what we did. All right, I've got one question, then we're going to talk about the new space, I promise. So you said you have to be adjacent. How is Ursa Minor doing it? Because they've got that big plant shipping. Yeah, so I think it's still considered adjacent It is, properties. even though it's across the street. Yep, because, you know, again, there used to be a street in between Bent Paddle and their space, too. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so those property numbers, yeah, they I think they fell perfectly into that spot, which, yeah, kudos to those guys. Interesting, yeah. The remodel there is great, too. It's, it's funny. I met the... Uh, parents of uh, one of the owners at Castle Danger before they opened Ursa Minor. We just wound up talking and sitting at the same table as them. And, and it's funny. And then two months later, Ursa Minor opened. And, you know, it's so funny because Duluth just supports all these brewing pubs. And they, as I understand it, they're all kind of supportive of each other. Yeah, there, I would say that there is... I consider no bad blood between any breweries in Minnesota across the ways. Um, You have your couple of unique ones up there that have done some things, I think, that were politically charged that didn't really help them at all. But, um, you know, really it is the more breweries that we have in Duluth, the better I think we all do. Right. You know, again, because it becomes this thing. Like, you look at Bend, Oregon. Right. You've got right. a city of about what is it? I think it's twenty-four thousand people Something in Bend. Like that. Yeah. And I think they have twenty-eight or twenty-nine breweries in right. it. Right. Right. So I mean, that's a prime example of like, you know, it becomes a, a vacation spot strictly because of oh, that. Oh yeah. Right. Oh like yeah. It, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's that's always good for us. And the more we've we have, really the developed a critical mass here. You yeah. know, thanks to Blacklist, thanks to Ursa Minor, thanks to Bent Paddle, thanks to Castle Dane. Thanks to there. Lake Superior. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that water Thanks. is yeah. the best. That's going to make the best beer you can get, yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. So um, I promise we will talk about the new space. So the new space, um, talk talk about it. what what has it allowed you to do for, for the um, customer experience of people going to the new space versus the old space? Well, I think, you know, the, the first and foremost thing that we went for just in the design aspect of it in general was that we wanted to still keep that, that feel, that kind of big open atmosphere, not big, but open atmosphere, right. industrial look high ceilings exposed brick that's the awesome part about these buildings downtown they're so beautiful um and to be able to take a space like that that was basically just a raw shell and make it exactly what we wanted um you know leaving some of we had some existing floors that the original floors that were in there when it was laying motors and 
and, and these big beams and all the different things. Um, we really wanted to make sure that when people walked in, like, it's still blacklist. It still feels like blacklist, right? Because right? you don't want to go super modern and ultra whatever. I think that takes away from the original experience you may have had or, or whatever. So, um, you know, in that aspect, it's it opens the doors to, you know, we went from 1,800 square feet, including the X-ring area in the old location. The new location, we've got 4,000 square feet. Wow. Plus an additional 650 where the X-ring area is at. Wow. Um, so really for us, it was like, okay, yeah. now what do, what do we do with it all, right? So, uh, you know, if you walk into our tap room, uh, you're going to go through, you know, double doors. Then you're going to go through a garage door and you're in this huge open atmosphere tap room. You've got the huge bar. It's a 30 foot long bar, uh, bar stools all around it, big exposed brick, all of our taps are on the wall. And then you turn and you look in the back and there's another garage door and another huge room. Um, and we've operated that as basically like a, either overflow for the busier Saturdays and, right. and Fridays and whatnot. Um, but we also offer that up as a private rental space. So now we've done weddings, we've done corporate parties, we hosted wow. the film festival. We've we've really been able to take that space and turn it into, okay, so you love the brewing industry. You just love these old buildings. Now we have a space you can come in. You can rent it out. We'll outfit it for you. We'll put up whatever tables you need, chairs, set it all up. We have a, a PA. We can put, you know, you can have a microphone back there if you can do presentations. We have a huge 85-inch TV. You can, you can have a movie night if you wanted to. I mean, right. it's one of those things where you can utilize it as that, but we can also take it and say, okay, maybe we'll do some bags leagues or maybe we'll do, you know, ballroom dancing lessons or whatever. There's right. The list is a mile long of the things that, that we're putting together as a management team to really make sure we're, we're over utilizing that space almost. Right. So how how has it been? Re- First of all, when did you open uh, in the new space? It was May 18th of last year. May 18th of 2022. That's correct. So how has it been received? Unreal. People, I mean, and the, the funny part about it is that there are still people from Duluth that will come down and be like, we had no idea you were even here. And I understood that from like the old space standpoint, because you had this little tiny garage door and yeah. the casino was always distracting because of all the nice people that hang out there. But, right. <laughs> yes. um, but then you, you <laughs> now you drive by and you're like, there's there's so much going on. There's four garage doors. Right. This huge sign. And, and uh, it's so much fun to watch people walk in and just be like, what's going on? Right. Yeah. Right. I love and- it. And so your what is your what is your position now at your official position at Blacklist is your official position then we're going to find out what you what that all so entails. I, 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 right now I hold down the uh, the axoring manager okay. so uh, I operate all operations axoring side whether it's maintenance it's hosting like we have our leagues that I'm hosting now all those types of things um, I'm also the assistant tapper manager so we have a we have a phenomenal tapper manager who does a great job but um, she can't do everything obviously right. she needs she right. needs help with things so that's that's also been my role is to step in and, and help support her and, and all the things that she's got going on. Right. So as axe throwing manager, how uh, how hard is it to get a spot in, in the axe throwing uh, booths? Are, are you guys pretty full or if people want to go up, I, I got a group of friends and we're trying to figure out what to do. Can we go there and, and get on or is it pretty much all booked out? You for, know what? It uh, depends on it depends on what's going on. So I we purposely set our system up. So we have a reservation system on our website at blacklistbeer.com. Um, <laughs> when you go to that website, website, it's only going to allow you to book up to two lanes. Now, typically we're going to host six people per lane. And how um, many lanes? And three lanes three total. Lanes, okay. Yep. Uh, it could go into a very angry tirade about how I got screwed out of a fourth lane in the process of building that, but it's fine. We're not going to worry about that. So there's supposed to be We four might have three. time to... It's fine. Now we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> the system itself is set up so that you can only reserve one or two lanes, okay? Depending on your amount of people. So if you right. have up to six people, you're going to get one lane. If you have more than that, you're going to get two. Um, that way we use that middle lane as a walk-in 
and first come, first serve. And We're not reason, out of luck. So someone like me who's not a good planner um, and, but might say, hey, you know, it would be really fun if we could go and, and just throw some axes tonight. Yep. Generally, if your group yeah. is smaller than six people, I most likely can either get you on the list if it's a Friday right. or Saturday or we more than likely can squeeze you in. So we uh, that's been huge. And I think a lot of that, again, comes back to that street presence. So you're walking by and you in the axe ring area is right there. You're going to see it going right from Superior Street. That's going to bring you in. And we that's why we want to be able to fit people in. So a quick question. What about uh, like if a company wants to have an event for employees, um, do they sometimes, can they rent out the axe throwing arena and and say, or is that limited to two lanes then? Nope. I uh, so. I do corporate parties nonstop. I have two of them today. Wow. So I have okay. United Piping tonight from seven till eight. And then I am hosting the Minnesota uh, Fire Chiefs Association from eight until 10. So I'll have roughly 40 people that I'm taking care of. And I'm, that would be, I think I've got four or six, four or five different parties booked this week oh, alone. Oh, that's cool. We do them on off days. Um, it's just an email to me, ray at blacklistbeer.com. Um, I set it up. Well, uh, Ray, first of all, uh, we are running out of time. So first of all, I want to thank you for being here. Second, I want to thank you for actually bringing beverages. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell people what I'm enjoying right now, which is the SS Haze, which is a hazy IPA. It's fabulous. If you like hazy IPAs, uh, give it a shot. But you've got a lot of other offerings is how many different offerings do you have first beers and then then non-beers um tap room wise i would say off sale if you're looking to take stuff home um we run anywhere from eight to 12 different options between beer and seltzers uh and then the thc seltzers we have five different options on those right now that is just that is just crazy and and so how, how many seltzers in, in general do you have right now we are operating under seven different flavors wow. we also have high ab seltzer cocktails that we make with a 14% seltzer base. We mix it like a cocktail. Well, you were kind enough to bring some seltzers here too. And we sampled some of those, including a root beer. And uh, is it a blueberry that, blueberry that we basil, have? Yeah. yeah, they're just blueberry basil. Just fabulous stuff. So uh, I can't not endorse this hardly enough. Uh, I'd be endorsing it anyway because I, I, I love Blacklist. I love your products. I love the the, the space. Uh, but it was very nice of you to, to bring some for us to sample. We do like to ask because... Because we're for the Love of Duluth podcast, we do like to ask people what they like to do in Duluth when they're not doing whatever it is that got them here on the podcast. So what do you like to do when you're in Duluth and not working at Blacklist? I, you know, so I, uh, I'm into some of the uh, the o- older man sports. I'm not to offend anybody, but I, uh, so I'm on a, I'm on a bowling league. Perfect. I was yeah, that's... sponsored by Blacklist. All right. Uh, I'm also on a uh, softball league. We have a softball team that we play with. Um, so I do a lot of, I still try to be outdoors as much as I can, you know, again, when you're up here it's it'd be weird to spend all your time inside right right in fact, i don't see my apartment very often other than sleeping so yeah. it's uh it makes it kind of fun but yeah I'm, I'm more of an outdoors person i like to be out out in the wild and, and you know fishing and those types of things so as long as i'm outside i'm happy cool cool well uh i think uh those outdoor activities make us all very happy uh here in duluth um so ray just thank you so much and thanks to blacklist for allowing you to be here as our guest and uh, we really appreciate it and, and good luck in all the future endeavors your future future endeavors as well as blacklist future endeavors well we'll look forward to hosting the lx pure medical equipment uh, christmas party this year so let us know (laughs) all right you never know thanks for listening to another episode of for the love of duluth season one two and three are available now wherever you get your podcasts all you have to do is search for for the love of Duluth. Have a minute to spare? Leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We hope you are loving season four so far. 
We'll see you next time for another brand new episode of For the Love of Duluth.